everybody, and welcome to another episode of Natter the Zillennial Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Parent, and we are joined today by Reese Tully. Hello, Reese. Hi, Nat. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what we are talking about today? Well, sure. Um, I'm from uh, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, kind of just right uh, along the uh, the edge of like expense, you know, large expanses of farmland and then really dense and rocky kind of bush. And uh, now I'm out here in British Columbia, nestled right in the heart of the mountains, and I'm doing uh, traditional blacksmithing and bronze casting. Fascinating. Yeah, it's a, it's it's not too shabby. I guess it, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, kind of something that I've had interest in, in for a long time. And I figured uh, kind of just at this point in my life, it was time to, to reach out and do something absolutely zany and kind of weird. And, and that's what I'm doing out here. Awesome. Why don't we start right at the very beginning? Um, you are obviously a zillennial person. Blacksmithing is a very old trade. How the heck did you get into it? Um, I would say I kind of got into it mostly through <laughs> some like half-ass encouragement from my teachers. I guess when I was in uh, early high school, um, my welding instructor, when we were taking the welding course, uh, gave us at the end of the year a lot of free time uh, to do personal projects that were of interest to us. And you know, people were building little tables and, and, you know, other sorts of stuff. And I just thought, hey, well, wouldn't it be kind of neat if if I did like a little, you know, like a little blacksmith forge if I built one and then I could run it at the school. And he kind of, um, he kind of was like, yeah, man, do whatever, 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 you know, <laughs> kind of just get out of my, get out of my hair <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. And uh, I actually got away with it. <laughs> so I had a little bit of kind of some know-how and some blacksmithing interest before, but this was a point that really kind of um, kicked it off. So I, uh, so I had to, you know, build it and stuff, and I got it up and running. It was just a little charcoal forge made out of um, like a, a brake drum off a car uh, welded yeah. into a, uh, a like an, a big oil drum, and like my mom's blow dryer. Um, and my mom's blow dryer, like super glued into some pipes under it. Um, and, and, and so I had fabricated up this just brutal, shaky, wobbly, awful little forge. And, and my teacher was like, Oh my God, you know, you actually did it. What a weirdo. Um, <laughs> he's like, Hey, well, technically, you know, we have permits here to weld at the school, but we don't have anything that says, you know, we can have active, you know, burning fires. So we're going to yeah. have to, uh. We're going to have to talk to to your, you know, the principal or whatever and, and see if you can actually get away with this or whatever. So we were, we were, uh, we had to go and um, go into the office and stuff. And we had to talk to my principal and she was saying, okay, well, you know, what are you, what are you going to be building or whatever? And I was thinking, well, okay, so I have the forge. I was thinking maybe doing something simple. I'll do uh, like a fire poker or whatever, yeah. something along those lines or whatever and she was like okay and we had a little bit further discussion and she's like okay well all right well i see we can do it just this once let's let's let it go and we'll see what happens or whatever just don't burn the school down <laughs> and i was like well you know if i end up doing that at least you know have a fire poker so <laughs> yeah uh, so i ended up doing that and i did a little bit of a demonstration at my high school kind of just showing people how it worked and what i was doing and uh 
that's kind of how I my first introduction into that that trade and stuff happened was mostly a joke. It was it was kind of just like, yeah, I bet you won't, you know, I bet you won't, kid. <laughs> um, and then amazing. after, yeah, yeah, it was kind of kind of I don't know. It kind of managed to squeeze into you know places and kind of fandangle my way into situations that are are, are kind of bizarre sometimes. So. Um, in this time, I'm I'm quite thankful that I managed to convince um, convince my teachers to to let me get away with this. It's amazing what happens when you just do things. When an idea comes into your head and you're like, "Eh, fuck it, let's just do it." Yeah, you know, totally. Um, the Indian, you know, the entire reason now I'm out here doing this stuff now is essentially for that same reason. I just, you know, just said, "Fuck it," you know, let's uh, let's go out here and let's <laughs> let's be let's be a blacksmith for a little bit. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. And, um, you know, ever since I've kind of just been more open to some strange possibilities and kind of let yeah. the ideas flow and let myself wander, I've, I've been way better off for it, I find. Yeah, totally. Let's go um, to the definition of blacksmithing. Uh, I know that it's um, putting metal into a fire and banging it with a hammer. What does it actually encapsulate? What's needed to do proper blacksmithing? Um, what's Well, I, I suppose... Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know that what the term proper blacksmithing is mostly because there's so many people now that are, that are starting to get into it. And, you know, back in the olden days, you know, a proper blacksmith would have had a full going apprenticeship and, you know, been doing it for years and years and years until you eventually mm -hmm. become sort of a master in these types of situations. But now, you know, just simply because of resources, many people have access to stuff that they never had before. So people are, you know, doing things like I did, like making, yeah. you know, janky little forges in their backyard <laughs> and, and just having fun banging up uh, ugly pieces of metal. And it's great. And it's super awesome to see people just totally having having fun and flying away with this stuff. And then mm -hmm. on the other hand, you get people now who are um, running huge like shops and forges, you know, you know, dozens and dozens of uh natural gas forges and coal forges and charcoal and and it's really kind of such a such a mishmash of so many different um i guess styles and techniques that there's no uh really term i guess what what proper is i i guess you can yeah go ahead and get certifications and stuff like that and and, you know, you could study for years and years and years and, you know, end up with some kind of um, diploma or whatever. And I guess that would constitute you being a proper, proper blacksmith. But um, but as far as this goes, um, I'm out here um, at the at the uh, Cooney School of Arts here on the Victoria Street campus. And uh and we uh, are working in, in like a little kind of dungeon almost. Um, we're in nice. the basement of this old, old building. And we have uh, some forges going constantly and stuff like that. And um, my instructors and stuff like that, I guess I would say are, are proper proper blacksmiths and, and bronze casters. So mm -hmm. um, under their guidance, me and, my, uh, me and my fellow students are kind of being encouraged to learn... Uh, basic techniques and stuff like that where you know you're doing the same grueling type of thing a gazillion times until you can do it exactly the same way every time and it's mm -hmm. and it's so <laughs> such kind of a, a pain <laughs> but uh you know eventually when you get the chance and your instructor says yo okay uh, it's time do 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 something you want do this and then you go okay well 
I want to make this. And he goes, okay, well, you literally already know how to do that. You've just never built one before. And you're going, you're like, what? And you think, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, I learned those basic techniques to do this and this process. Well, that's just these processes all kind of mixed mashed and banged up together, you know? So it's, yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like that. And by learning, I guess, you know, techniques and stuff from somebody who's been doing it for such a long time um, and kind of, you know, apprenticing under under that type of person and, and doing those types of things and, and kind of doing lots of uh, kind of benign little tasks and stuff like that, I guess, <laughs> like any other apprentice would. I suppose maybe that uh, encourages you on the path of a, of a proper blacksmith, maybe. Yeah, doing some of the grunt work and sweeping up after. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. Like, uh, like lots of times too, it's, it's prep work, but I, I don't mind mm -hmm. it. It's like, okay, cut a gazillion, you know, lengths of three eighths rod, you know, so and so long with this angle grinder. Okay. Just go to town, buddy. Yeah. You're standing there for about three hours doing, doing the same thing over and over again. But, um, that's just kind of some of the things that you get roped into and some of the things that you have to do are still, they're still quite necessary, but I mean, yeah, you're often just like, all right, well, you know, this isn't exactly what I signed up for when they said I was going to be a blacksmith, but, um, <laughs> there's definitely, uh, a more of a romanticized, I guess, idea of being a blacksmith. So then when you're yeah. actually there, it's way, way different than, than what you would imagine, I suppose. It's all part of the process, though. I imagine there'd be no work being done if all of those uh, bars hadn't been cut for three hours, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, like if everybody had to kind of um, always do their own stuff and nobody ever just, you know, bit the bullet and did a little prep work for everybody, I think it mm -hmm. would be much more slow going and way, way bigger pain in the ass in the long run, I guess. Yeah. When you first started out, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had getting into it? Was it like some of the prep work or just straight up doing it? Um, some of the challenges I had when I first started was trying to stay motivated. And I still find that sometimes, like, um, especially when you get into um, kind of more of your learning types of aspects and, and not so much creating, but, you know, creating so that you can um, experience these new techniques and you're learning. Um, I find that it's hard to stay motivated when all when, when you're doing all day is, you know, making something like hooks or bending railroad spikes or doing something, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. Oh, I, I wish I, I, I was doing this instead, you know, but it's, it's really necessary to kind of uh, keep your head down and just, you know, keep pushing through it and stuff like that, especially because um, some of our days are super, super long. Um, Earlier in the semester, I'd get there at school probably around uh, eight o'clock. I'd uh, start up all the forges and stuff like there. And then, you know, there were days where I was there from eight in the morning and I'd leave the school closer to 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. um, so it's long, hard, grueling days like that. That's like, oh, man, you're like. So I just want to lay in bed and sleep like there's, you know, you're not really motivated to want to physically punish yourself every day. Um, But you have to kind of look ahead and think, okay, well, you know, if I can just get through this or I can, you know, kind of, you know, quit, quit messing up or if I can, you know, just practice a little harder then you know, 
it'll pay off big time and 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 it usually does when you you know you know power through lots of your i guess even artistically or your uh your physically or or your mentally like all those blocks if you power through them you know in the long run i find like an incredible sense of satisfaction from that and i imagine you notice it was like that for me going to art school as well you notice your improvement so quickly even though the days are long and they're grueling but within a month you see progress that you wouldn't have had otherwise yeah totally like it's just it's the it's the fact that the you know there's the motive the key motivating factor is you are doing what you love and mm -hmm. and you know when you love something you maybe you don't love every single little thing about it but you know as a whole you know you can see the you know your passion and everything you do. So I think uh, one of the things that I use to stay motivated is just thinking about the future, just going, man, like if I can, you know, just keep doing this or I can um, master this or whatever, I, I can't imagine what possibilities, you know, this could bring for me. Speaking of passion, what was the first project you completed that made you go, oh, hell yeah, I want to keep doing this? <sighs> um, Like so far... In this year i'm thinking gosh with you know we built we built so many things and even like some small little things um mm -hmm. i find an incredible sense of like wow i can't believe i i did that but what was something that i was very proud of oh list them off brag about all of them uh yeah i guess i find i find it kind of difficult uh to do that i'm not a um, I'm not I'm not very boastful and 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 prideful, so it's tough. But um, I would say at the end of uh, last semester, we had some spare time uh, coming up on Christmas, and so I wanted to um, make my family some Christmas gifts and stuff like mm -hmm. that. You know, just something because I'm I'm, I'm kind of broke at school and I don't have enough money to go out and dole out a whole bunch of uh, gifts and stuff like that. So I thought maybe I can maybe I can cheap out and, and, and hammer some out instead. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I was most proud about was um, I made a skin do for my brother, which is a, like a Scottish boot knife. Cool. And it was, and it was so technically strange um, because I had to make tools i had to make my own tools to make the tools that made the knife it was like a wow. whole like kind of weird little one-man assembly line machine yeah. it was it was so so strange but having to make things that make things that make things is you can see kind of this process starting to form and you can you know picture what it's going to be like in the end and so um, eventually I had made this, this very, a strange kind of, uh, beveled knife for my brother. And I did it all by, all by hand, hand processes. So no, like, uh, no heavy, like machine grinding and stuff like that. There was no, um, kind of just like, you know, we'll stamp out this big, ugly block and then we'll cut it with a plasma cutter to the shape of a knife or um, and kind of doing stuff like that. It was all very much like hand, handcrafted and hand done with the exception of like a drill press just to drill a, a couple small holes and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It was very much just long hours with, you know, gazillions and gazillions of sheets of sandpaper and files and 
and um and other types of tools and stuff like that and you know and then the long hours of hammering out this knife and making the tools for the the making of this knife itself and um i think by the end when i had it sitting in my hand i was like wow like holy crap <laughs> like i can't believe yeah. i i did everything like this this is all all me you know like and it was yeah. the first time that so many things came together like perfectly i guess like i really took my time and it was just it had paid off incredibly and and i think that that was what i was probably most proud about was that you know every single thing even the mistakes were on me you know and it wasn't um in in anybody else's in it wasn't in anybody else's um like hands like nobody else had a hand in uh in doing this it was something that i took from start to finish like even from the design fa phases mm -hmm. all the way to you know my brother um you know going and and opening it on christmas day that was all you know all me and it was and it was kind of like a weird little humbling like holy crap like I can't believe I just did this weird thing. <laughs> That's amazing. That is so much work to make something like the best gift ever to receive. Yeah. Um, and, and like one thing I liked about doing my gifts this year, I suppose, was that um, I was able to um, completely like do like custom stuff for the people. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm not a very uh, cookie cutter project type of person. Um when I make something, I like it to be made specifically for this person for the specific reason. Let's make it as 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 much of them as it mm -hmm. is me. You know, let's make it let's make it their 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 thing. Um, let's you know try to incorporate aspects of their life or aspects of their personality into this object or whatever it is, and um, and so it's exclusively theirs, and there won't be a single one like it in the entire world. You know. That's amazing. It's so thoughtful. <laughs> I love it. So wholesome. Thank you. <laughs> Could you walk us through, um, obviously not in complete detail, how you made the knife, but because I don't know how to do any kind of blacksmithing. Could you give us a little bit of a step-by-step? -step? Okay. Um, so I guess it starts um, in, in your design stages, I suppose. You sit down and you go, okay, well, I know I want to give my brother a knife. Let's uh, let's see what what kind of things would would he you know get a kick out of, or what kind of things uh, make it personal to him. And so, um, kind of our shared heritage and stuff like that. I thought about, and then I thought about him, and 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 he's he's very much a hunter as I am, and uh, and and so I thought, well, wouldn't it be kind of cool if you had a a little dagger you could slide into a sheath that would strap to your boot? Oh. Okay, and so you start playing around with these um, these ideas and stuff, and so you start designing stuff, and you start um, kind of playing around with some other ideas you might want to try to incorporate. And I, f I find like no matter what, what, it always happens to me simply, you know, you, you, because of mistakes or because you know you're not a machine and you're not mm -hmm. perfect. Um, you design something out, and then halfway through the project, you're like, oh man, but wouldn't it be cool if I did this? <laughs> or or you go oh man, I totally just ruined this thing. Uh, yeah. I guess I'm going to have to try to uh, figure out a way to fix it and, and just kind of play it off like I meant to do it the whole time. Um, so no matter how much you kind of sit at the table and you design, I, I think like it always ends up just a teeny bit different in the long run. Um, 
So you kind of start with your designs and then I suppose then it would be choosing material. I suppose so. Um, my like the the handle of this was uh, walnut and and brass and so I thought oh that'd be kind of cool kind of this dark and dark wood and this these golden kind of rivets and and a golden type of guard and and then I thought well let's let's I could just you know take a take any old steel or whatever or carbon steel and you know snap out a knife or I could really put my arse into this and and take a chance and try to do something really cool. So um, I decided to do a billet of Damascus. Um, Ooh. Yeah, uh, which is, uh, so we're, we, at the end of the year, we started getting into Damascus, a little bit of kind of like personal projects and stuff like that, because it's not a course mandated type of thing. Yeah. Um, so what Damascus is, is a pattern, pattern welded steel. Um, historically it has its, its roots in, uh, ancient Syria. I think it, it comes from, uh, Damascus, Syria is where, mm -hmm. where it gets its name. And so what it is, it's, it's various layers of dissimilar metals that have been, uh, all forged together. So, um, in my case, um, <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm like a, I'm like a garbage person. I like picking through the things that people throw away. I love going to the dump and seeing like what crazy stuff have people like totally thrown away today. And so yeah. I always used to go out to like the scrapyard and stuff like that. I go, Oh no way. I'm going to totally steal that. Like nobody's going to miss that. So, <laughs> um, so my brother's knife was actually made out of old saw blade and, um, spring steel, like really rusted spring steel off, uh, off like cars. Awesome. And so I cleaned up everything and stuff and buffed it all nice and shiny. And, I cut it all up into a, you know, a bunch of little teeny tiny little plates, I guess, kind of maybe about four inches by two inches wide, maybe. And uh, you stack the saw blade and then you stack the uh, spring steel kind of in, uh, you know, alternating patterns until you get like a little block. Yeah. And then, um, then you, you know, you kind of squish it a little bit together. You can hold it together with wire. We welded are the ends of ours just to keep them nice and tight against each other and then you heat it up really really hot and you have to uh like flux it a lot because we don't have um traditional charcoal or coal forges we have natural gas and so what happens there um when you're heating it up is that oxygen um penetrates the steel and stuff like that and it creates a little atmosphere that prevents um, the layers of steel from actually merging and like welding together. So you uh, take a whole bunch of borax while it's hot and you just coat the thing in borax and that uh, keeps the the atmosphere out of the welds. Wow. And uh, in a traditional coal and charcoal forges, you don't get that because um, as the fire burns in a charcoal and a coal forge, it burns off oxygen. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to worry about it like that. Um, but you heat it up really, really, really hot and... Uh, you go and you bang, bang the hell out of it. You make sure it all sticks together. You start it off softly, kind of just encouraging it, you know, just yeah. boop, 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 boop. And then by the end, you're just throwing your whole back into it. You're just wailing on this thing. And uh, a couple of times um, you can get a friend or, uh, you know, somebody to help you strike. So you hit it once with your hammer and then they've got a big sledgehammer or something and they're, 
they're hitting it where you just hit it and so it's like this cool kind of motion of boop, 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 boop. and it's like you get into this musical type of uh type of rhythm and it feels super great it's such a strange feeling like this rhythm and you're you know you're working together so well with somebody else it's it's magic so um so you bang it all together and then you get this um ugly <laughs> kind of block and it doesn't look uh, very assuming at all like it just looks oh well here's this you know awful crusty ugly block um that i just made you know whoopee um yeah so after that you <laughs> stretch it out into your your knife shape or whatever you plan to do with it you know make a spoon for all you know like you can make it out of anything do you just pull it when it's hot yeah yeah totally so i do yeah like most of my shaping especially for this knife while it's hot but people can you know bang it out into a big flat bar and then mm -hmm. you know okay now that i have a, this big flat bar i'm just gonna cut the knife shape out of it you know yeah. but um I, i'm a little more traditional i suppose i like uh i like the actual shaping processes and stuff so um one of the tools that i designed to help me make this knife is a power hammer die um so what it is it's a tool that slides into our power hammer and it's uh how do i describe this it's 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 almost like two um big metal blocks that come together um on top of each other to make a shape so in this case it was almost like a little diamond shape with two kind of edges that you know really slid far out and so that helps you make kind of like a spine in the middle of your blade and so it's you've got this cool type of double beveled shape yeah and so you while you have this big ugly block of damascus you heat it up and uh you run it through these dies as the power hammer bangs the heck out of it and so it crushes your steel down into this um specific shape that you that you made awesome yeah so you kind of get then afterwards you get your basic shape kind of from that and you do a little bit more refining make sure everything's straight and everything's pretty and uh and then you kind of just uh you know then you go to town with files and sandpaper and you <laughs> really make it pretty oh god how i can't even remember how long i spent at the table just like just sweating just just rubbing my hands raw as i was just you know you know buffing the heck out of this and by the end you know that's one of the satisfying things it's one of the most strenuous but it's most satisfying because by the end you know you start with this big black uh, big black hunk of steel and by the end you have this beautiful polished like you can see your own eyeballs looking into this yeah. thing's reflection like it's like wow i can't believe i did that you know and um so you polish it up and then after your polishing and stuff comes like the scary part um you have to like heat treat it because uh, the process of heating up this this steel and makes it soft even when it's cold now it's softer than it was before um, so now the job of this heat treatment is to kind of stiffen it back up again, I guess. And that's what gives a blade its edge is its um, uh, hardness and rigidity. But also part of this process, too, is not making uh, your knife, in this case, um, too too hard, I, I guess. Um, it makes it almost uh, like brittle in a way. Like if you were to m maybe make a really thin knife and, you know, you really stiffen it up and then you drop it it might you know completely shatter 
like yeah, um, I need some flexibility still. Totally, yeah. So um, we had this big jug of like canola oil, and you heat it up, and you do your kind of your tempering processes and stuff that we've been learning, and you quench it. So while it's you know screaming hot, um, you throw it in the bucket of oil, or you you know dip it in the bucket of oil, and there's a you know a big poof of smoke and lots of fire and. Yeah. And that's like the romantic side of blacksmithing, like that everybody sees. It's always like, oh yeah, look at this flaming knife. It's you know, it's so cool. Look at this. But it, <laughs> it's it's you know, people make it look really cool. But there's, uh, I dread uh, quenches, and I I panic every time. Like I'm just I'm I'm a, I'm a puddle, man. Yeah. When I have to go do that, I'm like, please don't break, please don't break, please don't break. You know, and I'm just panicking, panicking. Um. So luckily this time, um, it went fine, and you know, you pull it out. And after it's cool and, you know, now it's incredibly hard, but it's also um, incredibly brittle. So after that, the process was um, putting it in like uh, in like a toaster oven. We have this like, nice. yeah, we have like this really grimy, dirty, filthy old little toaster oven. So we uh, put the knives back in there and we take them through uh, a tempering process, which kind of softens it back up again in a way, but, um, less so it's kind of like an in-betweeny. So by the end of cycling your knife through all of these, um, different types of heating processes, you end up with a knife that's hard and not too hard and soft, but not too soft. You end up with like this perfect balance of everything that you want to see in, in that type of object. And then after that, it's all handle stuff. So you, um, drill a hole and uh, some blocks of wood and stuff and you drill some holes and um just do lots of filing and stuff and make sure that the tang of your knife the part that's hidden inside the handle slides in there nice and easy and uh you can um i did a couple of rivets just to hold it in there and then after that yeah it's then it's lots of um buffing and polishing on the handle and stuff like that and more polishing on the blade too because after you dunk it in all this oil and cycle it through the oven it gets gross and kind of black again yeah so you polish it up again just really quickly after you've done you know your hours of sweating at the table now it's just a quick shift um you you know take the scale off the surface mm -hmm. um and then yeah you by by the end there you know it's kind of straightforward from there it's lots of handle work and making sure it feels nice to hold in your hand and uh and yeah and and i would say that's kind of that process i guess for making a knife and then you know make yourself a fancy little leather sheath too with um you know any kind of i think we got our leather from a, a shoe store not just in town oh, we that went, makes sense yeah we're like hey you guys got any scrap leather you guys are getting rid of they're like yeah yeah here we'll send you the, we'll sell you this big uh sheet we had kicking around in the basement and um boom there it is and so i'm that's where um my talent kind of stops I, i'm the worst at at sewing and stitching <laughs> so um so like it's it, it's like i uh i i made a, a couple sheets for for a few knives that i've done and they're they are mm -hmm. by no means fancy but i've been trying to practice in my spare time to make them make them look a little better yeah they kind of go hand in hand to have a sheath for the knife yeah it needs some clothes you don't want it to be naked <laughs> <laughs> but yeah oh that's a, that's kind of the process i think that's that's more or less uh 
the, the, the how you make a knife i guess um it, it, I, well a pretty dumbed down dumbed down version i suppose like if i was to teach somebody how to do it then there'd be way more that go into it yeah you gotta do this and this and this but uh that's kind of the basics of uh the process i i suppose thank you so much for walking us through that that's absolutely fascinating and how the heck did like ancient peoples figure out how to do all of this i could see like in this day and age figuring it out but yeah like i guess because we have all this this you know information on on how materials react and stuff exactly um i i suppose ancient ancient peoples i i can't speak more or less on the uh neolithic side of things i can't yeah. I, I have no idea how ancient ancient man would have went oh man look at this cool rock wouldn't it be great if it was a different shape you know and it starts like that i guess and people are banging rocks into different shapes to hunt you know woolly mammoths and stuff like that and then yeah i guess it kind of starts to starts to change and you know they're finding different materials and maybe they're you know using the power of fire now and and they're going wow I, you know i threw this rock in a fire a while ago and it kind of melted and turned into this really <laughs> stiff you know thing but if i did something with that you know i i have i i'm i'm probably not the the authority on on ancient ancient blacksmithing you're probably right though people do just love fire we probably did just start burning stuff and somebody dunked it in water and they were like whoa look what i just did <laughs> yeah and they're like oh great man this is gonna help me kill so many like woolly mammoths now you know and then yeah. that tribe survives and they carry on and they teach other people how to do this stuff and then bang boom now uh now here we are in the modern day you know <laughs> i don't yeah. I, I have no idea but um um i guess uh, as far as i know what's my what's my earliest notion of of blacksmithing that i can speak on um i guess is more or less the transport and trade of of metal through like um, the Silk Road through Mongolia and that runs mm -hmm. uh, into the Black Sea and then in, up into Scandinavia um, for the longest time uh, the world um, you know all of these old ancient artifacts of you know small knives and swords and whatever yeah. tools are are really uh, not great uh, steel at all um, you know it's people doing the best with what they had um, but then, you know, this influx of, you know, more advanced types of steels and alloys are, are starting to be traded and, and you know, uh, uh, bought and sold now through this kind of trade route. Um, mm -hmm. And people uh, in ancient cultures are now starting to develop like an understanding of, of how, you know, these metals are different, how they're, you know, should be treated or, um, or kind of um, molded, shaped and formed and stuff. And so um you know they're they're beginning to experiment at this point and um it may sound goofy i guess but um one of the things that i know uh, was happening in scandinavia at the time um in order to create um a steel that's usable as a tool it needs to have uh carbon in it okay having carbon in your steel enhances its capability for flexibility and uh, for rigidity Okay. Um, and so at this time, people just had, you know, these all, you know, wrought iron and uh, uh, bloom steel and stuff like that. And all this kind of um, metal that wasn't really saturated with carbon at all. And it was, it was good for small things and tools and stuff. But, you know, 
as as the world was changing and as as people i guess were starting to become more violent with each other um yeah. <laughs> there became a need for 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 weapons and 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 stuff like that so um people started to figure out hey you know if i you know the other day man i made a sacrifice in the forge i threw a whole bunch of crazy bones and and stuff in there while i was uh uh while i was blacksmithing this steel and stuff like that and now you know look at here this stuff's really fancy i did the sacrifice and now this blade won't break it it bends nice and it and it and it's still sharp as heck even though how much i beat it up and people are going wow no that's crazy maybe we should all do that too so <laughs> then you get a you get a whole bunch of people throwing uh, like bones and teeth and 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 uh, charcoal and coal into these uh these these blooms and stuff like that uh with with their regular steel and they're finding wow you know this is uh this is making some pretty fancy steel, man. You know, uh, the sacrifices are working right on. Yeah. Um, but what the process there is actually introducing like things like bones and teeth and, and charcoal dust and stuff to uh, an environment in which you're smelting steel actually introduces carbon into yeah. the environment. And so that's why um, they're getting all these really, you know, more advanced steels is the presence of this carbon. And at the time they're like, yeah, man, like, gotta keep up with the sacrifices let's 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 keep it going you know even small things let's throw a couple bones in there and you know bing bang boom now we got something a little more better than what we had before and then that idea you know of course over time changes and people are going yeah okay we have to do this we yeah. have to add you know these bones and this charcoal dust to this environment because now we know that that's what's making our, our blades different now and it's <laughs> um so it, it all starts with i guess kind of story i guess you yeah. know and it's people it's people going wow you know this is so crazy it's so magic it's almost you know ethereal this type of process it's it's you know it's so bizarre and, and foreign and alien you know and then now over the the years of people you know constantly doing that and honing that mm -hmm. skill they're going okay now now that we're kind of starting to get a grip on this and now that we're kind of starting to understand this um we're able to you know identify these processes and what makes a steel a steel a steel mm -hmm. you know? that's absolutely amazing yeah of course it makes total sense that our stories and and, and sacrifice or something <laughs> would would lead to developments in culture yeah totally like i think one of the, the basic foundations of of humanity is is being able to uh tell is to be able to tell a story and stuff like that and um um, another thing too is uh, is uh, people's abilities uh, to work together. I think like it wasn't just you know mm -hmm. one dude out in a mud hut scraping together uh, bog steel and stuff like that. And it was it was you know it was the it was you know his his parents before him and you know and and uh, his his kinsmen and stuff like that. It was like a, a it was a tightly knit community. And that's what kind of encourages this this lore and this story around that surrounds kind of this trade is mm -hmm. is that people still find it so incredibly magic. I, I I go to school every day and I think what I'm doing is magic. It's so um it's so incredibly um bizarre and precious. It's it's it is type in some way. It's it's small magic, man. You're you're taking all this this strange 
um kind of ore and all this you know kind of mismatched garbage and you're turning it into something that it wasn't before it's like it's transmutation it's alchemy you know it's it's so it's so cool yeah i think it's it's taking pieces of the earth to make art to make our society move forward to make tools and that is at once like you said it's a very humbling thing but it's also a very magical thing that we can do that yeah like it, it, we've we've come so far in our understanding of of the way that things are working and even like the most simplest things there's stuff that that we don't understand um about ourselves or about the things that we do or why we do them or the things that we build there's such there's such a, a mystery to to some of the things that we take for granted right like and mm -hmm. now now in my in my day to day life i'm looking around me and i'm seeing oh well i wonder how they would have built that or oh i wonder what that's made of you know and it's it kind of opens your eyes to the possibility that there's just so much more around us than we than we assume like you know when you're looking at something as simple as a railing you know you're like well i wonder where, where that came from i wonder who worked on that i wonder what it's made out of you know you're in you're doing all these things in your head and you're thinking about how many people had to come together to get this you know railing you know along along whatever the heck you know a, a, a garden patio and you're like man like like that, that that's so bizarre how, how so many people are were needed to make this you know railing happen and it's something that that nobody ever kind of really considers in their day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. And the advancements of how many generations before us to get to the point where a railing is invented, <laughs> is needed. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I think about that all the time. Um, one of my classmates um, <laughs> said something to me that kind of resonated um, uh, very deeply with me about ancestry. And it was, um, we, I forget what we were talking about, but uh, but uh, we were talking about our ancestors and stuff, and if we had any cool ancestors, and and we were going on, and then we were thinking, you know what? I don't know. Our ancestors are pretty tame. Uh, and then we got <laughs> thinking, and it was and it was an exciting little thing that came up, and we thought, you know, that one day, I I might be my coolest ancestor. You know, like. Uh, when my great 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 grandchildren are running around like i might it's kind of an exciting thing to think that i might be the most interesting person in <laughs> in my in my lineage which is yeah it's an encouraging thought you know to to think hey well you know what i, I i'm doing something kind of cool you know it, maybe my kids will talk about this one day the fact that i was out here doing this and that i know how to do this now so mm -hmm. it's it's super cool to see and kind of think about the places that you've come from and and you know and it gets you excited about uh, the things that are gonna come yeah and you talked about your heritage when you were making the knife for your brother does it um influence your current work and how you approach doing your current work uh, yeah, um, pretty heavily. So my family is predominantly uh, uh, Scottish and German and uh, some Scandinavian stuff thrown in there. And I, mm -hmm. I, I rely very heavily on that Scandinavian stuff for lots of inspirations uh, for my work. Um, I, I remember I had found this old type of uh, it was like a it was like a manuscript. It was like all folded up and tied together with ribbon and it was in mixed in with my grandpa's belongings. And it was, 
a kind of like an entomology of where my family name comes from and it gave like a little bit of lore and a little bit of story wow. and it was pretty basic and stuff so i did a little bit more research on my spare time and i and i kind of got into it because then it, i was really interested i was thinking well, well it's it's so so cool to see you know how you know where you come from and stuff like that it's interesting it's almost like spitting in a cup and sending it into ancestry.com <laughs> yeah um so uh, so i i just i i kind of i guess i kind of figured everything out without having to gob into a jar so yeah <laughs> um uh so i i did some research and uh so my last name is tolly and i figured out that that probably comes from to the best of my knowledge is there once upon a time used to be um like a norwegian or a, a swedish dude or a danish dude uh named named tolly and uh probably t-o-l-i mm -hmm. and and so he was a a viking of some sort or you know maybe a trader or a, a seafarer or something like that but um of somehow or in some way um they all ended up him and his family i guess or or him and you know whatever kenny had cousins family members that types of stuff and they ended up uh going over into england and stealing some stuff um yeah. <laughs> so they ended up doing that for a while and then i think what ended up happening was they started doing that in uh france as well they started taking french stuff and and then uh kind of what happened in, in in france though was different is um their uh their uh king at the time was like hey you guys are pretty good at taking stuff and they're like heck yeah we are man we're, we're gonna keep doing it and he's like no well how about i pay you to not take my stuff and i pay you to take other people's stuff you can take other people's stuff and i give you a little bit of land to live on you know how how does that sound you know i don't and they're like hmm okay okay that could work that could work let's try it out so uh, all these Viking guys ended up staying in France in the place that is now called Normandy, which is uh, like the, it means like the place of the Northmen or, or whatever. Yeah. So all these Vikings ended up living in France and they kept uh, taking England stuff in the, on their, <laughs> on, on the slide or on the side. And, um, and so then the Tollies or the, uh, or uh, Tollisons and stuff became Tolle and it became like a French thing. And then they were Normans. And during like the uh, the Norman kind of expansion, and when the uh, Normans started invading England and stuff like that, you know, there were uh, mm -hmm. there were Tolles there, and then they uh, they got there, and they're like, hey, you know what? This uh, this uh, this place is pretty cool. How about we we'll go check up uh, further north? And then they went up to Scotland, and they're like, oh, okay, you know what? I, I could totally picture us all settling down here. Why don't we do that? And uh, and so then they did that, and then the Tollies became uh, Tullies and Tullies and Tallies and, and stuff like that, and they kind of all branched off, and and from there they kind of stayed there until you know now our our modern day setting. Just only a few hundred years ago, I think they decided yeah. you know a few of them came over and stuff like that. So yeah, that's where the Scottish ancestry comes with a long complicated uh lineage of like strange norwegian you know fuckery yeah i could totally tell why you'd want to incorporate that into your day-to-day -day life that is such <laughs> a cool story yeah it's kind of it's kind of a, fu a fun little thing you know it, it's kind of it kind of gives it gives your your ancestry uh, a tangible 
type of thing when you you know know dates and you know times and you know names and stuff like mm-hmm. that it 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 it's, it becomes more more real i guess in a sense so i where i draw yeah lots of my inspiration now is is from that type of lineage and from that type of interesting ancestry so um i'm i read heavily into um the lore surrounding that that uh time in history and and kind of do lots of research and stuff that pertains to um the tangible objects and stuff that were used during the time so um i lots of it that i that i take inspiration from heavily is um tools i love making tools and i love making tools that make tools and i love making tools that make Mm -hmm. tools that make tools that make tools and so i i I always love when archaeologists are pulling stuff out of the dirt and they're going oh look at this axe look at this arrowhead look at this ads look at these these um nails or something even the simplest little things that go oh that's so cool yeah you know and and like i can make that yeah yeah i go hey you know what that looks like something i might be able to pull off well i'll give it a (laughs) shot and and so i do that and then i have an obsession i guess um we've touched on it a few times like uh, it's all about story. I love the history and storytelling mm-hmm. and lore and stuff like that. And so um, one thing I always seem to incorporate in my, into whatever I build, whether I, whether I know it or not, is um, the aspect of narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I, I really take a great amount of, of, of joy in, in building something that can communicate an idea about a person or about a place or about a race of people or a culture and stuff like that so i always make conscious decisions that whenever i do something to uh, give it give it a time and a place like i like to think about the people who would have used this thing you know way Mm -hmm. back when or or i like to think about the specific person who would use this thing whenever i make a a hoe or a shovel it's like well i wonder you know i can imagine somebody plowing the fields you know mm-hmm. a thousand years ago with this thing and you know what would have their life been like and stuff what would have they they have done to this thing to keep it you know in shape and stuff like that you know um and and i i always love being able to to do that and and tell an effective kind of little narrative i guess um through even the simplest of things. And that concludes part one of my interview with Reese Tolley. Please check back in next week when part two is released. And have a great week, everyone.